Bonjour and bienvenue to Ludabelle's Francophiles. Je m'appelle Lou and as always, this is the place to come to keep your Frenchy vibes going and to help you lose yourself in France without even leaving home. In each episode, we usually chat about our French experiences with guests who live in Australia, France and right around the world and share ideas for how to stay connected to the Francophile within you. But aujourd'hui, I am not chatting with a guest like I usually do. Instead, I am sharing some tips I have collected for myself through many trips to France. So, Lately, I've been hearing more and more from Lulabelle's Francophiles listeners that they are making plans to head back overseas and to France. It has been such a long time since many of us have travelled that I thought an episode about travel tips to refresh our memories would be une idée fabuleuse. And I also got some messages from some wonderful listeners who suggested that they wanted to know more. So here it is. Now, across the world, there are changed travel conditions for flying that differ from country to country and may even change from month to month or in some places even week to week. So, of course, the first thing to do before leaving is check the COVID compliance matters such as testing prior to flying, isolation, vaccination, etc. But once in France, there are some tips that have been wonderful time savers for me in every visit there in pre-COVID times, and I'm sure will still be important to consider. So one of the first things to think about when in the planning stage of your intended holiday is whether you wish to stay in a hotel or an Airbnb. Now, I love Airbnbs as I feel for a moment like I'm living like a local. And also, when staying on extended trips, it's nice to be able to cook a meal yourself at times and eat like you're at home as well. I actually find it fun in France to go to the Petit Supermarché and buy local brands of things that differ from what we can get in Australia and then make a meal of those at home. So whilst we can't cook for ourselves in hotels... There are other great reasons for staying in them. If your French language skills are more on the beginner side, a hotel can provide a terrific resource. When travelling alone, I know some friends and some tourists find having a concierge is a great safety measure, as is having an in-room safe. But for me... I always stay in a hotel on my last day when I have a late departure, as a hotel gives me a place to store my luggage. So for the last day of sightseeing and while I'm out and about, there is somewhere safe for all of my bits and pieces to rest for the day. Also during the planning stage, long before your departure date, I am for at least three weeks or so, consider buying a Paris Pass. The Paris Pass gives entry into loads of Paris attractions. I actually haven't been to all of them. There are so many on the pass and they are certain to be on any Francophile's bucket list. But the best thing is that with the Paris Pass, there is no need to queue 
to get into the museums or attractions. And you can just walk right on through. It's kind of like back when I was younger, getting led into a nightclub by a bouncer or just waltzing right on by the line of people. It is fabulous. I recall one visit I made to the Musée d'Orsay in one trip, which was a return visit to the museum for me. So I was only popping in for an hour or so and I saw this woman in the line out the front with fabulous red boots on and I went right in past the queue through the entrance, especially for Paris Pass holders, and I had just a wonderful visit in there as always. But when I came out, I saw the woman with the fabulous boots was still waiting in the line. So it was then that I realised that the saving of time with the Paris Pass is perhaps the best thing about purchasing it. When staying in Paris for a few days or, or a week, there isn't usually the wish by tourists, or definitely not by me, to spend much of that time lining up. So it's important to purchase a pass before you depart for your trip. Now, there are some places you will not be able to avoid a queue and there will be a little bit of a wait. But there are ways to reduce that wasted time. So if going to the Eiffel Tower, booking a guided tour that is in the Paris Pass will help reduce waiting time. But if going up the tower in the usual way, getting there first thing in the morning before the crowds is a great idea. Another place that has loads of crowds inside is the Louvre, especially around the Mona Lisa. I have always found the Louvre to be extremely quiet, though, around 5.30, 6 o'clock on a Friday night. So it is worth checking the evenings that it's open and planning a visit then. Unless you have a small child with you, like my Fraser was with me, who squished through all of the thronging crowd to get to the Mona Lisa at the front, took a photo up close, took a selfie with himself at the Mona Lisa, and then came back to me and we headed off on our merry way. So if you don't have a kid to take your photos with you, it might be a good idea to go in the less busy hours. So check out those nighttime visits. The Palace of Versailles is also a place that attracts hordes of crowds, but you will find it pays off to get there early, as even with the Paris Pass, you will be required to queue here. So on each visit, I have arrived a good half an hour or so before opening to go to the ticket office and get my tickets with the Paris Pass and then head to the queue. I have noticed when I've been coming out on some visits a few hours later that the queue snaked across the forecourt and probably would have been at least an hour or more in the waiting, whereas I have been able to cut that waiting time down to 20 minutes to half an hour or so at the most by getting there really super early. An extra tip for visitors to Versailles, you might want to set aside a whole day to visit. I have gone for half a day and have really felt that I didn't get immersed completely and I missed out on lots of little bits and pieces that are not part of the main palace. Because in addition to that gorgeous, gorgeous Grand Palais, there are the Grand Trianon and Petit Trianon to see. These are the summer houses for the king and queen and are exquisite. They are well worth extending your visit to see. There's also the little farmlet that was built for Marie Antoinette and that is worth a squeeze as well. Now, each time I have used the Paris Pass, there has been a treat on offer at 
the Galerie Lafayette, especially for pass holders. Now, last time it was a tote bag, which I still use every day when I'm buying vegetables. A little advice for shopping at the Galerie Lafayette. As a foreigner heading back to Australia, we can claim the tax back on our purchases. It is a little complicated and I have not often got the process sorted successfully, but suffice to say, it will help enormously if you remember to take your passport with you when shopping there, as it will be needed to submit the tax claim forms. It can really add up if you're making a number of purchases, so it's worth doing, but it is a fiddly process. So ensure you check out what's required before starting your shopping. Now, the Paris Pass used to send the required cards that you need to show to be admitted at attractions, as well as a little guidebook of all it's on offer, but now it has changed to an online arrangement. I'll let you all know what I think of this later in the year when I've been back to Paris to try it out, but so far... At this side of my trip back, I'm a little disappointed, mainly as now to get the pass that is for access to the museums, because I should have added there are two separate parts to the pass, one for museums and one for other attractions. It is now necessary to get the museum part of the pass to visit their office in one spot in Paris. Now, this will cut a little chunk into the schedule and it might be worth factoring into your itinerary. Now, Get ready for my number one tip for travel to France in the era of requiring data. If you seem to have issues with SIM cards when you travel like I do, even the ones I have purposefully purchased online for the trip, then this is the tip pour toi. On one trip, I spent days on end phoning from a hotel phone to the supplier to get a SIM card to work, only to end up going and purchasing another SIM locally. But on subsequent visits, I have always gone straight to the Tabac next to Esmeralda's. That is the cafe just across the road from the back of Notre Dame facing the Seine. Now, I buy a SIM there in the Tabac that is for a number of weeks for use just in France. Ask over the desk if you don't see it and they will sell it to you. I actually take my regular SIM card out on the flight to France and just use Wi-Fi when I get to Paris in the airport until getting the new SIM, which has unlimited data to use anywhere in France. Now, unlimited data is priceless in this online world. So using data, I can make calls to home via apps like Facebook Messenger. I can look up travel details on the internet. I can check emails. I can post online. Any other online needs that I might have can all be accessed then on my phone. There's no need for a phone number and having to get uh, new SIM card phone numbers back to your contacts at home as I just use all my own apps on the phone with the SIM providing the data. Now, in relation to itineraries, It is not often that people travel as a tourist to Paris on their own. I have a couple of times, but then some people might suggest I'm just a little bit obsessed. But it's important if you want to make the most of your time to set up an itinerary of sorts while still at home. But if the style of vacation is more one of laid-back immersion, perhaps locking into an itinerary is not so important for you. Often tourists will be travelling with a partner or a group of family and friends. So I suggest, especially if this might be your once-in-a-lifetime trip, 
get everyone's top three or even their top five things that they must do in Paris. And then it can be beneficial to group those attractions into arrondissements. So you're not going backwards and forwards from one side of Paris to the other every day. Your traveling group can spend the day or even just a morning or arvo in the one arrondissement and check out all the things on the bucket list for that area. This makes most use of time, but it also leaves tourists feeling less exhausted with less travelling around and less mucking around on a daily basis. It's important to keep the itinerary flexible in some ways, though, to account for rainy days or other last-minute required changes. But there will be bookings that you may make prior to leaving that will need to be factored into and worked around. Now, so far, I have focused on the travel to Paris. But when travelling to the regions, there are some important tips to note too. Firstly, consider the length of time you are intending travelling through regional France. Is it a short, quick trip to one region or are you spreading your time over a few months? What season are you travelling in? Do you prefer the heat or, like me, are you a fan of cold, crisp days? If you're travelling over some time and right across France, think about whether to start from the south and finish in Paris or perhaps vice versa. So, for example, if you're travelling in spring through March, April and May, and if you're not crazy about the heat, you might wish to start your trip in the south of France where it's mild in the spring and head north or into the mountains as the months heat up getting closer to summer. Your chosen fave temperature can be a big factor in deciding what region is right for you at various times of year. So, Another main consideration for regional travel is do you hire a car, catch a train, or maybe a bit of both? For Aussies or other countries where we drive on the left of the road, driving in France might seem like it's going to be a stressful matter, but it doesn't have to be. I haven't driven in Paris and I don't necessarily recommend that as it's quite busy. But in the countryside, there is the space to get used to the opposite way of driving. And once you stop trying to get in the passenger seat to drive, which I've done more than once, you will be fine. Now, to get out of Paris, I always catch a train. The TGV is so quick and the train links in France are very efficient. You also get to see lots of France as you pass through it on the train, which you don't if you fly from Paris out to a regional centre. Now, make sure you are early for your train from Garmont-Ponas, Garlion or Gardenor and stand on the platform in line with the carriage on your ticket. At some platforms, the corresponding carriage letter will be marked on the ground and then getting onto the train is something that needs a bit of forethought. The passengers all getting on will clamour for the luggage stow section near the door all at the same time. And if you're not one of the first on, you will need to end up storing your luggage in another carriage, which could be halfway down the train. I actually prefer to keep my luggage where I can keep at least half an eye on it, so I ensure I'm on board swiftly to get luggage stowed and then into my seat. If travelling a bit further afield and catching a connecting train, the disembarking and reboarding process can sometimes be crazy busy too, so be prepared to move swiftly. Get ready and get prepared to get off 
and get back onto the next train. When travelling with some girlfriends to the Dordogne some years ago, we caught the TGV from Paris to Bordeaux and then another train from Bordeaux to Bergerac. Now, the changeover between trains was only three minutes. It was just stress city as we had to change platforms and there wasn't a lift for us to use with all our luggage. Luckily, there was what seemed like a platoon of soldiers also travelling. These fabulously fit-looking women and men who helped us out, a bunch of middle-aged women looking majorly worried. So even though we got there and met our train connection in the end, we did learn that booking so swiftly together is probably not a good idea. Check your timing of your connections. Too close, you might miss your following connection and you could get stuck somewhere and miss your next lot of accommodation. So just check those on your tickets when you're doing the purchase. It's hard to travel more places than just villages with a train station if you don't have a car in the French countryside also. So you may need to hire a car to get around to see some of those gorgeous teeny tiny villages. When hiring a car, I recommend not choosing the big roomy option as it could be a challenge getting through some of the narrow laneways in the ancient villages. Although in saying that, it's important to not go too small or you won't fit in all your luggage. So with car hire, I always do a little bit of a Goldilocks and I go the middle size, which is just right. Now, I've mentioned a couple of times before on the podcast that extra care should be taken when hiring cars from railway stations. Some towns have more than one station, so always double-check the actual address of the car hire against the station on your ticket and pay particular attention to the names as they can be quite similar. There is not a lot of difference if you are rushing and you take only a quick glance between Avignon TGV and Avignon Central. You could be forgiven for thinking it's the same place even, but the car hire places are only at one station. So lastly, when using a car in the regional areas, check out the car parking situation when booking accommodation as even though there is loads of space driving through the rolling hills, little country villages can be really tightly packed. It's part of their charm. We love it. But it doesn't result in lots of car storage options. So always check ahead when you are booking your accommodation. Now, when deciding which regions or villages to visit, there are loads of things to consider. But just a few other things you might like to think about. Do the market days in the village coincide with your visit? Perhaps you would like to ensure that you are there on a market day and can rearrange your itinerary to suit. Check dates for local festivals to ensure you don't miss out if local country festivals are your thing, or so you can actually avoid them if they're not. Book ahead for tours and special local knowledge sessions such as wine tours, special lunches or cooking days, and work the rest of your regional stays around those. And lastly, during the planning stage, check out Les Plus Beaux Villages de France. Now, I have discussed the Plus Beaux Villages de France a few times on the Lulabelle's Francophiles podcast, and that's because they are just so wonderfully exquisite. I love them. I've been to a few, and each visit was like stepping into a dream. The Plus Beaux Villages de France... They are select villages that have been designated amongst the most beautiful in the country. 
And each of the villages must meet certain criteria, which is really strict. There must be rural character with no more than 200 inhabitants, and there must be at least two national heritage sites. The local council needs to approve the application to be a Plupo village and an on-site evaluation has to take place. It really is quite rigorous, but the result is a list of some of the most extraordinary villages across the whole of France. I will place the link for the Plupo village on the Lulabelle's Francophiles website together with all the links relating to my French travel tips that I've just mentioned today. Now, my last tip. As you are planning your trip, try and get your French immersion started at home. I have interviewed a few French teachers here on the podcast in Australia and in France, but even watching French movies or television or listening to French music can start getting you connected. I have a fabulous Spotify playlist of French music that will definitely get you started. I've compiled it from the suggestions from all of the podcast guests and today I'm going to add my latest fave that I will have playing as I pack my suitcase for Paris this year. The song is called Maison en Papier and it has such a beautiful chilled sound. I love the oboe in it which gives a little melancholy feel but it's also a little dreamlike. It's just lovely. The song sings about life and about us ourselves as individuals being fragile, like a little paper house, but also how we can be brave to explore the fascinating unknown. In the song, The Little House Made of Paper, little by little it got stronger. It saw the beauty of the world and it just couldn't get enough of it anymore. It just wanted so much of it. To me, this is like a metaphor for life through COVID. Life is really fragile, but little by little we can be brave and we can get stronger and get back to exploring this amazing world and our fave destination, France. You can find a link to the song on the Little Bells website as well as on my Little Bells Francophile Spotify playlist. Just go to the show notes for this episode, number 67, or follow Little Bells Francophiles on Instagram and head to my link tree where you can find links to my website, Spotify, and other little morsels of French wonderfulness. So, c'est tout et c'est la fin aujourd'hui. That is all for another Little Bells Francophiles episode. I hope you have found my French travel tips useful and put them into place if they work for you. If you have a personal travel question, please do not hesitate to contact me via my website. To be notified when new Lulabelle's episodes are released, subscribe on your favourite podcast platform or follow Lulabelle's Francophiles on Insta and head to the Lulabelle's Francophiles website as your place to stay connected to one of our fave destinations, France. Au revoir de moi, Louise Pichard. Bonne journée et à bientôt, mes amis.